0: Clef. Skip a beat on the seventh rest, Bring feast, we don't pass them over. We got the first fruits, no way to show us. This yoke is easy, this burns light, even with a loud mouth trying to eat at the might Even if we down south, the humidity spike fails torn in two, so we gon' be alright. It's all grace till the hop goes off. Every takes better run till the top blows off. Got them all stood still like a jaw full of Botox. gonna break them down like a jaw on a blow pop. Don't stop, they're in need of it though. Through grace by faith, they could easily grow. New wave, new age, new way to see bro. Now one truth, life, one way to thrown. Alone. That's faith alone, all glory to God cause that's his alone Since the land's been slain we can each belong The Lord is my strength, my peace and my song And I'll lay it all down at the feet of his throne So relax, gotta still in control He knows every care, every village you hold He knows every hair, every need for your soul Nothing new round here, this story's been told Bet you feel weak and your life is in tatters With bruised feet, your body is battered You can't reach trying to climb up that ladder Sit back and hold fast to Messiah matters Better run till the top blows off Got them all stood still like a job full of Botox Tryna to break them down like a jaw on a blow pop Don't stop, they're in need of it though Through grace by faith they could easily grow New wave, new age, new way to see growth Now one truth life, one way to be thrown. Bet you feel weak and your life is in tatters With bruised feet, your body is battered. you can't reach trying to climb up that ladder Sit back and hold fast to Messiah matters
1: Day. Uh October 25th, 2023. This is Messiah Matters number four four eight. My mother always said, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. But I have a show to do. My name is Caleb Haig. <laughs>
2: you got me. That's a good one. My mother didn't tell me that. <laughs> I'm rubbing. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Actually, I think they did. I think they did. One way or another. Maybe not those words.
1: What's up, man? You getting pumped? You getting pumped for ETS and SBL? Oh my word, it's it's coming up! Woo! I am pumped. <clears throat> I'm super pumped. You don't have any uh, you don't have any papers to give this year. Are you uh, excited to relax and
2: yeah, take it yeah, easy? I'm excited? This and it turns out uh, Zondervan has this, has a new Greek grammar they're promoting. So they created this big luncheon it says, come get a sack lunch and get a free copy of this book. And then the, the ham two, sandwiches for all the two profe- the two, <laughs> two, two, two ladies, two professor ladies who wrote it are going to give their spiel. And you're so going to go, I talked to your dad about it. He said, let's go. Well, then I, I went to register and they're like, Oh, we're all, it's all sold out. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, are they going to add more seats? He's like, Just show up. He said, there's going to be people probably don't show up. So don't even worry about it. Not that we're looking for food or anything. It's just, but the free book. Hey, you know, Greek grammar book. There you go. Got to learn something from a a new book.
1: That's right. Exactly. All right. I'm all about learning. Yeah.
2: Learning and discerning. (laughs)
1: I'll tell you what, man. Uh, the Riverwalk. Last time we went to the Riverwalk, it was one of my favorite venues that the uh, ETS and SBLs ever been been at, and everything is so close. But that Convention Center is giant. It is really big. So I'm actually very excited to go. I'm I'm pumped to to be there. Um, it's uh, the the nice thing is. The nice thing is, is that the Riverwalk is right out the back door and there's all sorts of different, you know, uh, places to eat and uh, things to see. So if you ever have any downtime, which we rarely do, but if you have any downtime, you can always go out and walk the Riverwalk. I think I walked the Riverwalk one time. I think it's a mile or something like that all the way around. I think I walked it one time last time. And I think you and I went to the Alamo last time, didn't we? Cause that's right outside I the remember, side door,
2: yeah. Yeah, the Alamo's there, A a oh. bit up the street.
1: Yeah, it's uh, the, the Alamo is, I think, I think we could walk to the Alamo in three minutes. So, uh, anyway, that's not the highlight. I think, I highlight think a, in honor
2: of our episode, we got to call it the Olamo. <laughs> the Olamo, oh gosh. wow, dude,
1: your uh-huh. dad jokes everybody. Are will know what, what they'll know what this point, means in a minute. On points, okay, well.
2: I think it's secret Hebrew coding.
1: Exactly. Before we get started and do this out of order so that, so that you're caught off guard, don't forget to subscribe to this YouTube channel if you haven't already. If you have, that's fine. Give us a thumbs up on this video. It sounds weird, but it actually does help us, and uh, we appreciate it. C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com, C-H-E-G-G at that's where you can send emails, tell us whatever you want to, and send us show topics if that's your thing. Comment line, 253 465 253-465-3205. Okay. Um, if you want to catch past shows, messiahmatters.com. And finally, this show is produced by Torah Resource.com. Hey, I'm going to tell you a little secret that people don't know about, uh, about Torah Resource right now. If you order any kind of a physical product right now, and this will go on for a little while, but if you order a physical product, so not a direct download, but any kind of a physical product, we will not only send you that physical product, but we will send you three bookmarks. Uh, they have the Torah reading cycle for the three-year portion, the apostolic reading for the three-year portion, and the Haftorah portion on each one of the bookmarks. So um, if that's your thing, if you're in the three-year uh, reading cycle, go buy something from Torah Resource, and you will get all three of those. It is, uh, we've, we've actually gotten a great response. We've had a lot of people call us and tell us that they uh, – mm-hmm. They are enjoying them. Okay, with all that said, let's go. We cut our, our, sh- our show short last week by about 10 minutes. We'll try not to do that this week, but you never can tell. Here we go. Tabby M wrote, I don't remember if this is an email or if this is a uh, YouTube comment. They say, I appreciate the conversation around 33 minutes regarding good works, including that of the Torah and establishing sanctification. This is on a video. So this must've been a YouTube comment. Sometimes I get confused because you rail so hard against the Hebrew roots, which I don't claim, and uphold the church. But the church paints for the most part that law is done away with. And if it's challenged, it's met with complete vitriol. Now. Okay, let's stop for just a second. A lot of truth in this email so far. Yes, we rail against the Hebrew roots. And yes, in many cases, we uphold the church. We'll talk about that in a few seconds. Um, However, uh, I think that it depends on the church. It does depend on the the church. To say that uh, if you say the law is good or whatever, or that we should be keeping the law, it's met with complete vitriol, that might be the case in many, in many uh, church establishments. And I'm not even suggesting that that's not the majority case. It probably is the majority case. However, there are many good churches out there that are um, at least semi, semi-pronomian and uh, if not, are very receptive to the law. Um, so I understand, what, I understand what Tabby's saying here though. Let's keep going. I'm curious what aspects make you uphold the church's shortcomings over that of the Hebrew roots. I see it as both are wrong in aspects, but to believe God's instruction is wrong to follow seems like a big error to not uphold to the same standard. You don't need to reply, I just enjoy your guys Well, we're gonna reply. I hate to to tell you that. Okay, here we go. So, the question at hand, why do we rail so hard against the Hebrew roots while upholding much of the church? I will go first. Uh, first of all, I think that the Hebrew roots is. I think we're closer to the Hebrew roots. So when someone is, what's well, a good analogy? When someone is defecating inside the camp, it's a lot easier to to, to throw stones. Whereas someone is on the outskirts of the camp, um, it might be it might be less as as easy. But here here's the here's the other thing. I think that the Hebrew roots, the way that I define now, I I completely agree that there are many definitions of the Hebrew roots, and and many people define the Hebrew roots differently than I do, and so maybe I should define what I mean by the Hebrew roots. The Hebrew roots, in my opinion, comes out of Armstrongism and um, the Worldwide Church of God, and also um, the Church of God Seventh-day, which is an offshoot of of Seventh-day Adventists, but they rejected uh, Ellen G. White, and they, uh, they were led by this one guy. And basically in the 30s, he went off the rails and he started to deny the deity of Christ. But beyond that, he, I don't know if he denied the deity of Christ. I think he became Unitarian. So anyway, um, but his name's Dodd, by the way. Uh, beyond that, um, he became a sacred namer. In the 80s, what you have is you have these uh, groups kind of coming together after Armstrong falls apart, and you have the formation in the first uh, time that the term Hebrew Roots is used is in the 80s. And this is right about the time that my father is, is coming into the Messianic movement. I see the Messianic movement and the Hebrew Roots movement as two separate movements. And so why do I rail against the Hebrew Roots movement? Well, the Hebrew Roots movement, I believe, has given up on, for the most part, now there are plenty of great people sitting in the pews within Hebrew Roots churches or synagogues or whatever you want to call them. But ultimately, the Hebrew Roots Movement, in my opinion, has uh, started out of heresy, which is they've given up foundational doctrine, such as the Trinity, such as a firm uh, foundation of the 66-book canon. Um, they have brought in all sorts of heresy, foundational heresy, such as a sacred namism, uh, Hebrew word pictures, uh, everything is pagan. I mean, the list could go on, the et teaching. So all of these things tend to uh, attract, the Hebrew roots movement is attracted to. The reason that the Hebrew roots movement, in my opinion, is attracted to that is because they've given up on foundational issues. So they don't have a firm foundation to stand on. And since they don't have a firm foundation to stand on, they're sinking in the sands, the sand of heresy. Now let's go to the church in my personal understanding, the church has made some huge heretical moves. I completely agree with that. And I would also uh, agree that it is possible that we, that I personally have overcorrected. In other words, maybe I rail against the Hebrew Roots movement too much, whereas I don't rail against the church as much. In other words, maybe it's off-centered. And I will, I'll be the first to say that that's definitely the point. I'll give you an example of this in a few minutes. But... When we look at the church, the foundational doctrine is there. We still have a belief in the sixty-six book canon to death. Right? People are willing to die for that, for that belief. Uh, We have a a strong foundation of the Trinity, which I believe is not only biblical but is 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 painted all over the Tanakh and the apostolic scriptures. Um, And so, with these, in my opinion, are core doctrines that uh, that the church stands on, and. I believe that the prophecies tell us that God has called people who are not his people, that is, people who are not Israel, he has called his people. This is the Gentiles. Throughout history, we have seen that the Gentiles have been uh, floated. The remnant of Gentiles that believe have been carried along the waves of time by the church. Now, I don't understand why God would do that. And the Catholic church at that. I don't understand why God would do that, but that's what he's done. So I'm going to, I'll give you an example uh, in, in a few minutes, but I'm going to pass this over to Rob for now. Rob, why do you think that we rail against the Hebrew Roots movement more than we do the church?
2: From, from my view, it's a great question. Because just at a gut level, I think the Hebrew Roots movement is more dangerous and the danger has to do, it touches on the things you just pointed out, is usually you have a rejection of authority. Whereas in general, again, I'm, I can only speak from my limited experience, so it, I can only you know, go from my own experience, but generally churches retain not only the canonical commitment, like you said, but they are looking, they see themselves as sheep needing a pastor that like the hearts of a general like if if what's the generous interpretation of a church is it's like oh they're looking they believe the bible even if they don't understand it they still believe it it's like they have this kind of you know i don't understand i believe the bible's true but you could open up a verse to me and i'm like you know i don't know i have to have to ask my pastor like that's that's the traditional american christianity that i have in mind even if they're a strong traditionalist denomination that has a bunch of additional stuff that they think is um, part of d- defining who a true Christian is, there's still a respect for authority and and an unshakable, like you said, even die for the canon, even if I don't understand it. And it's in those places where we have the academic institutions, <clears throat> support of academic uh, institutions that promote it's, of course, I'm talking in the more pro- Protestant side of things, learning the languages. You know, this is the big, big uh, wake of the Reformation is right. importance of learning the original languages, manuscript studies, uh, building lexicons and grammars, all this kind of stuff. Um, the Hebrew roots is a different kind of beast. The Hebrew in my experience there's no respect for authority there's only suspicion of academic institutions although there is a privileging oddly ironically of strongs concordance and uh hyslops two Babylons um you know Thayer's Greek lexicon you know things like this why well because they're over hundred years old and they're their, their uh, public domain so someone can do a bunch of reading at no cost to themselves because these these resources are available and invent their own system of meaning. And so in my experience the hebrew roots is a competition of people, individuals who are unshepherded to come up with more and more creative got uh, kind of mind-blowing interpretations to try to get people, you know, to justify leaving not being part of the church and there's no willingness to die for the canon right there there's the idea of um a free idea uh, or a free freedom of ideas right oh you know oh you could come we're going to bring you in and you teach that you know the jubilees oh the book of jubilees you know or the book of enoch or all this you know that that is a a core, you know, calendar, questioning the calendar, you know, lately in some of the circles I'm in, people in this mode question, they don't even believe the scribes. So like my question to them is like, well, where do you get your Bible? You know, cause they're like, Oh, the scribes changed this. The scribes changed that. And it's like, okay, so do you have like a secret tradition of the Bible that you're able to judge these, you know, like, where do you get your information? And, so in a way, Hebrew roots is more of a do-it-yourself folk religion, where uh, where you just scrounge, you just scrounge it's, the it's internet a, for resources it's, to build. Choose, choose it's a, your it's own It's like a homesteading. It's like home. Like Hebrew roots is homestead religion. It's like you don't. You know, you have to use. There's an old barn that's back and rickety. It's like oh, I'm going to salvage some of the lumber and build a chicken coop or whatever. Like it's that because uh, it's independent. I don't know if someone comes along and tells me that I'm reading this wrong, how dare they? They don't know what I've, they don't know what I've been through. So there's like a, it's a different culture. I think that you could say, and again, I'm speaking just from my limited experience, but I would say American Christianity and Hebrew roots are very different cultures. And to me, the one that has the poison is much more the culture that I would call Hebrew roots. It's much more. I'm not saying that the other one doesn't have problems. Um, anyway, that's that's probably so, why. But I so, but I would just say this: if you watch some of our mystery Bible theaters, like we 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 don't just deal with Hebrew roots people. There's other strange stuff. We think everybody's wrong.
1: No, so the, here's the thing: is that is <laughs> here's the thing: is that. Do I think that the church is is wrong? Yes. And if anyone's been on my Twitter feed recently, then you've seen I've been making a very strong case for where the the church is wrong. I think that there's institutional, um, I would even call it heresy, that stems thousands of years um, in the church. And I think that it's learned. So the point is, is that the reason that you have people who reject the Sabbath and the kosher laws is because they have learned from their predecessors why that is. It's, it's become almost a new religion. And I, I, I'll be the first to say that. Um, The the religion that we see within many uh, of the denominations of Christianity is not the uh, religion, if that's... What what is going on with this thing? Why does it keep doing that?
0: Uh, It's not the religion...
1: AI likes you, Caleb. I guess so. Um, The... uh, the, uh Uh-oh, now I'm frozen. What is going on? The religion of the Bible is not the religion uh, that we find within many denominations. Hang on just a second, guys. Let's see what is happening here to my... Um, thing and but let's let's also say this let's also say that the uh, that oh man I'm, I'm frozen all over the place. Um, let's also say this let's say that the uh, when it comes to the Hebrew roots, boots on the ground is a little bit different when I and I have gone to uh, Hebrew roots gatherings recently um, and when that has happened, Uh, it's, uh, I I have no problem fellowshipping with uh, people, but, uh, it's, I think it, it's because the people in the pews are not necessarily always as vitriol as the, uh, people, you know, people behind keyboards. Um, that's what I'm going to say. Okay. Um, Rob, I'm going to try to fix my camera here. See what we got going on here. Do we have anything else to say about that?
2: Um, no, no, I, I, I think Hebrew roots needs, I think there's a need behind it too, that could be biased by our listeners and they ask that has, you know, but, but Caleb and I, I would say don't lack, even in our own experience, apart from the emails and voicemails we get we, in our own experience, we've seen the damage done by teachers in the Hebrew roots movement. So mm-hmm. in other words, the, the the trajectory is helping Christians learn the Bible better. And then at the same time, you have uh, barbarians from the north <laughs> trying to attack. You know what I mean? Right. So it's yeah. like you, there are two different fronts for the one Torah view.
1: Right. All right. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this or not. This is going to look very odd, I think, to everyone, but I'm gonna try to simply fix my camera real quick. Sorry, guys. Uh, We'll give you a different perspective here. Um, Okay. I can't see anything on my screen. There we go. Okay. That's what you get. Um, That's what we have so far. Now look at that. Okay, anyway. Um, let's move on to our next, our next topic. I, I hope that that explains it for people. Um, ultimately, I but the the last thing I say on that. Sorry, my brain is somewhere else. The last thing I say on that is this: I do think that we overcorrect sometimes. I believe that there are really good people, really uh, honest believers who are simply trying to do what the Lord wants. Um, and I, and I honestly believe that within the Hebrew roots. And so I, I think that uh, I, the thing is is that once again, back to the culture that that Rob was talking about, there's a culture of I've been lied to, and since I've been lied to, I'm not going to believe anything. Um, and so it really is a choose your own adventure kind of religion. Uh, you and you're not, you know I was talking to a guy yesterday online, He, he was not it's gonna a be low budget it's yeah, also like-
2: extremely what what do they call shoes it's a shoestring budget do it yourself yeah. religion yeah that that it it's and that's why and i understand you know there you know it, it it costs you you know like um but you can get online and you can see strong's concordance for free or all, right. all these uh books from the 1800s that have been scanned and available online and people start reading those and they think, Oh, I'm, the ideas I'm having are based on this kind of scholarship. Right. Um, But, but when are they going to read scholarship from the 1900s? When are they going to read scholarship from the 21st century that especially, you know, The the Dead Sea Scrolls was a big game changer in terms of understanding first century Jewish world. Um, So, yeah, it's, it, it. uh, Uh, Yeah, I think that, I think that that, uh, that. There's a reason why James says, you know, Bible teachers have a different accountability structure before God. And he's that's that's dead serious right that that's not like, oh you know, teachers have it harder no, like if you presume to you're you know set yourself up like you're a teacher of the Bible and you think that that you are not going to be you know <laughs> i don't know held accountability refined held accountable, account right. yeah accountable to what you're because those are other souls.
1: But that's the no, point of the Hebrew Yeshua, Roots movement. It's isn't flock.
2: It? I mean, you're that, you're you're messing that, around. That, that's with the point Yeshua's of the Hebrew
1: flock. Roots movement, though. the The point of the Hebrew Roots movement is that there is no like you get to be your own teacher. You get to decide the truth. And I'm not saying that there there isn't. The thing is, is that within Christianity, you have the ability to say, "Let's sharpen each other." It feels to me, and this could be wrong, but it feels to me like within the Hebrew Roots movement, what you have is essentially like the the. Your truth is your truth, but my, like, my truth is the only truth, but you're not gonna convince me of anything except for my truth. Like, my truth is the true truth. And so anything you say is stupid. And to me, uh, it's, I think, you know, I had a guy arguing with me the other day. He was saying, well, let's sharpen each other. Well, how am I supposed to sharpen somebody who is a flat earther who believes that we should throw out Paul's writings and, uh, you know, is, doesn't believe that Yeshua is divine? We're not yeah, gonna there's people each other. that
2: are they're they're drunk but not with wine. Right. They don't even have a sober assessment of their own situation, in in exactly. my view.
1: Okay, let's move on. We're gonna go to Joseph. Joseph said this. Uh, so once again, this is a comment on a different video. He says, uh, 3252, uh, if Paul, he's quoting me, by the way. If Paul walks in with a Gentile, end quote, Caleb, in your opinion, do you think that Timothy was not Jewish? Timothy's mother was Jewish. Or do you think that more stringent groups required both father and mother to be Jewish? Or Paul was blameless in terms of adherence to the customs of the fathers and wanted no doubt to uh, doubt to Timothy's identity? Or fill in the blank. Okay, so I think that in the first century, the lineage of uh, being Jewish did not go through the mother. It went through the father. Uh, I, and we see this throughout the Bible in terms of, of kings. But yeah, it's like, always son of a father. Yeah. So the, the point, it's not whether or not I think he was Jewish. I mean, I, was he Jewish by blood? Sure, Timothy was Jewish by blood. His mother was Jewish. But the point is, is that no synagogue in the first century is going to accept that. Just like no... C- yeah, that's a Hala- is.
2: that's an innovation, halakhic innovation that happens after the destruction of the temple. In yeah, my, and, now, that's the, a contented issue.
1: Well, the other thing is, is that I, I agree. But the other thing is, is that today it's the same. It's just flipped. And this has to do with the Crusades and, and other horrific things that the Christians did. Um we won't even talk about those now. But, the, but the, uh, the fact is that it flipped. You can prove that a child came out of a mother. You can't prove that the father is the father. And so the point is, is that it flipped to your mother has to be Jewish to pr- prove lineage. So that's what it is today. If I walk into a synagogue today and I say, well, my father's Jewish, they're going to say, well, you're not Jewish. So the question is, why wasn't
2: Jewish. Timothy circumcised? It's because he didn't have a father that took him and circumcised him. Because that was the thing that the father claims this is my son and he's part of the covenant, and he didn't have that, right? And because yeah. you could say, well, how come the mom didn't take him? So when yeah. when Paul comes and takes him and circumcises him, if, even though he's a, he's an adult, it is a symbol of Paul saying I'm his. I'm like a new father for him, earthly father for Timothy. Like I'm I'm claiming a fatherhood role for this young man. And he does it boldly in front of the community.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: And he's going to defend Timothy as a, as a member of the covenant, regardless of what a community's other communities that might see Timothy, some say, Oh, you were already Jewish. You were already one of us or others say, no, your father was a Gentile. You're not one of us. Right. Um, what it doesn't matter. The halakhic, uh Now I'm even being anachronistic using the word halakah there. Cause that's not, uh the word. Caleb, you just you just uh all of a sudden transported to a uh jujitsu uh tournament or something.
1: Uh oh. Ah yes, I did. That's uh hopefully that's just on you yeah it's just on you. Hang on. I'm trying to fix things over here. Um so uh, let's wrap this conversation up and then we're gonna move to our main topic. So ultimately I don't think that it matters whether or not I think he was Jewish or not. I think in the first century, the point is, is that Timothy would not have been seen as Jewish. And he wasn't circumcised. Yeah, if
2: Timothy was seen as Jewish, there wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah, I mean, the the whole reason Luke gives us this backstory is because this kid is an outcast from his community.
1: Right. We have an interesting question in the... uh, We got an interesting question in the chat room. You ready for this? We're going to, I'm going to let you rail on this for a few seconds. AM says, I am so confused. A great teacher once said, the time for word studies is over. That (laughs) was for the 90s. (laughs) She says, I didn't take that to mean now we're doing grammar. I didn't take that to mean now we're doing grammar. Maybe I'm misunderstanding the question. Um, So, well, if
2: she's talking to me, I'm, I'm, i'm no great teacher i wouldn't say that i i would say uh i think what i meant is strong's words like i'd have to hear the exact quote of what i said but i should clarify what i mean is using the strong's concordance as the key to understanding the bible like that it's like your strong's concordance is all you need to um, because I see it all the time. I have people email me, you know, and they'll give Strong's, Strong's numbers next to it. it's like they have. And so they use a Bible like Esword or whatever that has every word tagged to a number. And then they're reading the Bible in terms of these numbers, which has created an artificial scaffolding. It's an artificial grammar that has nothing to do, based on what some guy 100 years ago coded each, each, or tagged each word in the Hebrew Bible and the Greek, with limited knowledge of the languages, and you know, to this day, the those Strong's numbers have a real strong traction. But the problem is, if you don't understand the grammar, you can ask questions and then look to the strong, the Strong numbers tagging system as a method for answering your question. And it will lead you down. It's it would be like it's like a pushing a shopping cart that the wheels are going and it keeps steering to the side. But thinking that like you're actually you know making progress with the as you acting as if you have a shopping cart that's got great wheels, you know, but it's not. It it's not. It's always going to take you astray. You need to have if you're going to be at that level. You want to read the Bible in the original languages. There's there's no shortcut. There's no shortcut. You got to you got to study the language. And once you study the language, you're not going to use Strong's concordance anymore. And if you aren't going to study the languages, if you aren't going to look at the Bible in the original languages, that's fine too. Use the other approach, which I suggested in prior videos. Go to the Bible Gateway website and read all the English translations of the verses that you're studying at the time. And you'll go, oh, okay. See, uh, I, is I that, think that this... It, I it think... puts you, it, in both situations, put you more accurately where you are, which is I, in a position of not knowing. I
1: think it's a position of, of, actually... of going,
2: I want to read the Bible. I want to learn something. Okay, you want to learn something? There's two paths. There's the path of reading multiple translations. And there's the path of... Learning the Bible languages, and those are two valid approaches available to believers. I think that I think that this comes down to a little
1: bit the fact that Rob and I constantly are—I mean, I, I like daily—we're being contacted, and maybe this actually goes back to our first conversation about Hebrew roots. We're being contacted by people um, that I would consider to be Hebrew roots who are sending us things about you know, why we're wrong because of the Hebrew word pictures or why we're wrong because of, you know, whatever, you know, I, I had this very long conversation with somebody the other day and I said, look, you need to stop at the Hebrew word pictures. You need to go learn some Hebrew and then come back and we can have a conversation. And he said, how do you know I don't speak Hebrew? And his whole interaction was Strong's Concordance and, uh, you know, various
2: confidence. Various it's, things that it, work. It, it's false confidence. Like, what good does false confidence do anybody in the world? Let alone inside the flock, Yeshua's flock. False confidence right. is is it's not sober mindedness. Sober mindedness and false confidence are are very different modes.
1: No doubt. Okay, let's move to our uh, let's move to our main topic. Let's do this. Uh, tch, tch, tch,
2: tch, tch, tch. Okay,
1: so this is a, uh, this is kind of like a, I don't even know. We've gotten multiple. Is everybody emails else
2: on... seeing what I'm seeing? Just no, they're Caleb, not. You, no, a picture not. of Caleb at the.
1: Nope. They're seeing my, they're seeing my video. It's, oh cool. I can try okay. to change it for, I'm seeing the, to change the it for Atos, you. you want me to change it for you?
2: Uh, photo, heck, but that's okay. Heck yes, you are. I know what you look like, so.
1: Heck yes, you are. Hang on just a second. Um,
2: what would be there awesome go, buddy. is to have that picture with your mouth going. Rr, rr, rr.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm having a lot. I'm having, I, I mean, I know everybody can tell. I'm having a lot of technical, logical problems here. They, I'm all over the place. I keep losing all sorts of stuff. So I'm, I'm just dealing with it. I'm trying to deal with it. Okay. So this is a, uh, the, this is a email that we got. We got one this past week from someone, but it is a, it's a view that has been presented to us by multiple people and I think the reason why is because it's becoming a mainstream argument for people in the main, in the mainstream Christian belief that the Torah has been done away with. And I have written out essentially what the question is in my own words um, to try to shorten it because the email that we got was like, I don't know, six pages or something like that. So <clears throat> here is my rewording of the question. The general question goes, I have people telling me that there are places in the Bible that say forever that are clearly not forever, like the laws pertaining to the tabernacle. How can we say the laws of Torah are forever if forever doesn't always mean forever? And uh, I have gotten
2: Forever,
0: forever forever,
1: forever, forever. Rob didn't know what that was from. I couldn't believe that. Anyway, okay, Yeah. <laughs> um, not the point. So the uh, the question is obvious. Uh, what do we do with the passages that seem to say that, that things are forever? Now, uh, let's give an example of where we as uh, Torah pursuant believers would use the term forever. It is a sign between me, uh, between me and my people for- talking about the Sabbath. Between me and the people of Israel, that in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So it is a sign forever, right? Um, And the this is I mean this is one of many like the the the, Leviticus 11, right? And the um, the kosher laws forever throughout Mm -hmm. all your generations, forever throughout all your generations, right? The 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 festivals these are forever. These are statutes forever, right? So it's pretty much all over the place. And so let's go to a couple of places. Now, this is one that I pulled, Exodus 29, 9. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them, and the priesthood shall be theirs by statute forever. Thus, you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Now, the argument that I've heard on a verse like this is, well, Hebrews has done away with the the priesthood. And so this clearly can't mean forever because Aaron and his sons aren't priests anymore. But my response to that, this is a, this is a softball, right? This is an underhand softball. The, my response to that is, well, the priesthood still stands. If the, if the temple's built today, the priests have to be from Aaron and the Levites, right? You can't just have any schmo in there uh, uh, doing the, the, the uh, priestly duties. And in, the, in Ezekiel's temple, although the high priesthood seems to be taken over by the prince, that doesn't mean that there aren't other priests in the temple. So I think that the, temp- that the, the priesthood will be established. And so I think that it's right. Now there are certainly cases where "forever" in the Torah or in the in the Bible don't necessarily me- mean like for all eternity to come. And what I mean by that is sometimes there is poetic like within the in the po- within poetic um, passages you'll find people saying "forever." And there is this is one that I found on a Vanity Fair article about the term "forever." <laughs> In the Bible. They brought up Jonah 2.6, which by the way, if you don't know, Jonah 2 is all poetry. And, um, and so I, I believe that this is a, a veiled prophecy of the Messiah. Anyway, he's talking, he's, he's trying to paint a picture here. He says, at the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, but uh, yet you brought my life uh, up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. Um, so I, I, I would argue here that this is not giving commands. It's what he's doing is he's painting a, he's trying to paint a poetic picture. Um, so I, I really don't think that this is a good, Rob, do you think that this is a good example of the term forever? I mean, certainly now maybe people will say, well, see, you're using the term forever, but it doesn't actually mean forever. But just like the, the flat earthers try to say that the corners of the earth are you know mean that the Earth is flat? No, we—they're giving us imagery, right? Uh, just like uh, Paul doesn't have bowels of love for us, right? He's talking about the way that he feels about people. So he's using he's using an analogy. Um, and within the scriptures, I think that that we have to understand that human writers use words like that. I think that 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 this in the Jonah two six. I think that this is a, a example of that. uh, Would you agree with that, Rob?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, well, le'olam is the word we're talking about. Le'olam. Right. I don't know if, maybe you already said that. So le'olam, does it mean forever or not? And then you mentioned a passage concerning the priests or Jonah, but also um, in Exodus, it's Exodus 20, what is it? Exodus 21, 6, where the... Where when there's a slave who's to go free after six years, if he says, "Oh, I love my master and I want to stay," et cetera, da da da, he gets his ear pierced, and it says he will be his slave forever. Right. And this is a classic location where Martin Luther pointed right. this out and says this can't mean forever.
1: Yeah, it's it, it says that uh, it, once again, this Vanity Fair, and and this wasn't the only place. I looked at probably five or six articles. They all bring up that one at one place well but but what it
2: means is it means fixed and for the rest of his life and and so so in the case of the slave that's the slave le olam it means when the jubilee comes there is a legal precedent that 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 this is exemption because this is this is a fixed it's not relating to how how long it's it's understood that the slave's going to die at some point but the point is that it's this is a Irreversible trajectory. Right. This is fixed. And so, um, but it's, but it has some semantic range. The very first occurrence, as you may know, the very first occurrence of Le'olam in the Bible is at the expulsion from the garden, lest they eat and live forever. Right. So yeah. you could say, oh, well, what does live forever there mean? Well, clearly it means the opposite of you will die. Like right. living olam is the opposite of what would have happened or is opposite of what happened as the consequences of Adam and Eve eating which is they're going to die so you see leolam, you know and and it's it's translated into greek uh ton aino i i think it is um it's used in hebrews to say you are a priest forever right according you right know, and says you are um your dwelling place is Olam is forever. Like it forever is just one way that we capture in English the Hebrew idiom. I had and another word ver- the Hebrew I- idiom has to do with fixed. Like it's like this is a fixed deal. It's not gonna change in the future.
1: Look, let's talk about this. There's a couple of things. It's like that could the be Sabbath
2: command. It's it's a covenant, a covenant leolam between me and Israel. Right. They, they, they'll let, say, "Oh, it doesn't mean leolam. It doesn't mean forever. There. It only means for a dispensation." That's that's a. Okay, let's talk that's about a that, clever though, tool. That's a clever interpretive tool for a, a someone who's weaseling out of. I the agree. Scripture.
1: I. I agree with you, but let's talk about that for a second. I think where this argument is going to make the most sense is in the world to come. In other words, are all of the laws of Torah fixed throughout eternity? Well, I would say, yeah, I would say yes, but some people are gonna say, well, if you look at like the laws of the tabernacle, they have all these laws about carrying this and carrying that and whatnot, and you know that that, that uh, the priests are supposed to do this. And there are places where it says they're supposed to minister in front of the the uh, curtain in the tabernacle forever. Well, I would agree that there is a time when that gets supplanted over to the temple. They are still min- they're still supposed to minister forever in front of the curtain, right now. Could it mean that when Christ comes back and, uh, you know, we come into eternity with him, that things change? Yeah, I suppose that they could change. And people are going to say, aha, see, so forever doesn't mean forever because it's going to change. I'm sorry, but I I just don't see in the Torah places where people are pointing to forever, that you don't have either poetry that is, you know, setting up some kind of a uh, imagery or um, the idea that something, just like Rob said, that something is fixed for this entire time, right? The the temporal time that we have on Earth, it's fixed for that time. Another one that people point to is First First Kings eight thirteen and nine three. I have indeed built to you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built. By putting it, putting my name there forever, my eyes and my and my heart will be there for all time. And people will point point it and say, "Well, that temple remind not me there. that verse, Caleb. It's actually in two different chapters. It's in First Kings eight thirteen and then First Kings nine three. So they eight they,
2: thirteen and nine three. Yeah. And the point here
1: is simply that I still believe that God's eyes and ears have been set in that place. It's it's uh, it's imagery to say that he, this is His. The place that the temple will be. And I believe that it'll be there again. A lot of this comes
2: from the the end of Revelation, the end of the Bible is about the new Jerusalem. Like it's still Jerusalem. Right. Right. I mean, it's it's just because we're in a temporary, a temporal situation, it's like similar to the Babylonian exile. They might have thought the same thing. Daniel, Ezekiel. I thought you said it was forever. I thought you said it was forever. Guess what? It is forever because as Jeremiah had said, the clock was ticking on the exile because it said the land will enjoy her Sabbaths, the Sabbaths that you didn't give her. In other words, the one who oversees the covenant is still overseeing the covenant. Israel is just like read Daniel line. Israel is in a position of recognizing, Oh, Oh, we did, we violated the covenant and we're still part of the covenant because, because this is the terms of the covenant being meted out to us. And he promised that with repentance that, that he will bring, our, bring us back. And so that happened. So when the, the second temple is being built, they're going, oh, okay, we're members of a covenant. There's like th- that, that God is watching over continually. Here we are back in the land again. And where we are now historically is just an extended exile period, but that doesn't mean you know there could be a thousand more years of exile. God doesn't care. It doesn't. It 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 doesn't. That's not evidence that He's no longer upholding the covenant. Yeah, so the covenant is still eternal. I think that,
1: the, that those, uh, the Christians who are pointing to the idea that forever doesn't always mean forever, the examples that are given are weak at best. It, they're grasping at straws. And the reason why is because they need to change. And hey, man, talk about railing against the, the Christian church. The reason the Christian church is in a lot of the state that it's in today is because they've given up on God's law. God, God says that his law is perfect, right? David says his law, the law of the Lord is perfect, well, then why did it need to change? It didn't. The point is, is that the Christian church has moved away from the law of God. And because of that, you're having all sorts of problems, not just among the liberals. Mind you, it's, it's against, it, it, this is, a, this is a, a, a target for all churches, even the really conservative churches. You're having troubles. And the reason why is because you are not conforming to the law of God. Now this is going to change. I truly believe that the prophecies say that the, that the Gentiles are going to start uh, keeping the, the Torah. We're starting to see this, and I think that uh, I think that the Church, as it is today, is going to have to go through another reformation. There are people fighting really hard against it, man, really hard against it. And the and I, I continue to go back to another problem that the church has had, it's not just that they've given up on the Torah, it's that they have created this separate entity from Israel, which is the church. The notion that the church has replaced Israel or is somehow separate from Israel is, I think, one of the biggest theological missteps that has led to so much of this. Because what they can say is, well, then the Torah is for Israel, it's not for us. There's all different ways that they can wiggle out of different stuff. If we start to see that the new covenant was given to Israel and Judah and not to the Gentile nations, then all of a sudden we have to admit, hey, look, when you become a covenant member, you become an heir according to promise and you bec- you enlarge Israel. This is the point. This is the point that I think the church has really, really gotten off on. And I think, as you know, I think that the Hebrew Roots movement is actually a step towards Torah observance, which I think is is very great. I think that just like in the uh, in the Reformation of the 1500s, what you have is you have people coming to the truth, and they're still trying to rein in all of the people who kind of go off into left field, right? People leave the Catholic Church, and they're like, "Sweet, now we're not part of the Catholic Church," and all sorts of errant doctrine happens, and so we're seeing the same thing with the Hebrew roots movement. I think that that's another reason, back to our first conversation, I think that's another reason that we're we're pushing so hard on the Hebrew roots movement, is to say, look, you guys are all over the place. The, the theological missteps are, are not, you know, far between, they are very close together.
2: It's like and, this, it's like the hope that I see within like the Hebrew roots movement is the initial, if, if the initial impulse is, wait a minute, that comes from a a desire to read the Bible more carefully and seeing kind of some crumbling edges around the traditions of men that I'm all on board for that. But then what happens next is I've seen too many people go on the Indiana Jones crusade. Like they're going to find the lost Ark of the covenant kind of thing. And they're going to do it by Hebrew word pictures and, um, you know, ancient texts that, the Christians didn't want you to read and stuff like that. Rather than actually going, oh, this is part of the tradition of uh, always reforming, right? This, is, this impulse is actually enculturated by the, the, the same spirit of the reformers. And now, okay, but what does it mean to be responsible in that position rather than lead everybody off the cliff, like just, you know, just run right off the cliff into a great ravine. You don't want to do that. It takes great care. And so you have to be more responsible than the church you're criticizing, not less. That's It's just the same thing. Like Yeshua says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. That means whatever they're doing, you have to you have to get it. you got to understand what their number is. And you be—you got to be more on top of it than them. It's not just, a oh, yeah, those scribes and Pharisees, they're clueless. Don't listen to them at all. That's not what Yeshua said. So this is a, a, a matter of stewardship and responsibility with recognizing the gravity of the situation of what it means to care for Yeshua's flock which is because the same view that says, wow, that these traditions are crumbling around the edges and they're, they're, there's a gap between what my church is doing and what's in the Bible. The very next thought would be, and I care for Yeshua's flock. They need good food. Right. And then it's like, oh, well, what is good food? What is, what? How how is, if I'm criticizing the way the church is caring for the flock, how am I going to offer support or be, a, be someone who's going to recognize the needs of the flock in a way that the church seems to be blind to because of the plank of tradition in their eye? Well, right. it sure as heck isn't going out and bringing in the Book of Enoch and Jubilees and, and yes. divine, what do they call it? The divine uh, council or Hebrew word pictures or lost tribes. None of that is gonna benefit the flock.
1: Wicked smat. Let's let's talk about a couple of uh, comments in the chat room. Johnny says, is the forever clip from Toy Story? No, man, all y'all are missing out. Go watch The Sandlot. It's like one of the greatest movies of all times. Um, The dog is put on a leash under the house Forever, anyway, um, okay. And then we have Maria says, "People say to me, I'm not Jewish, so I don't have to follow the Old Testament." First John three four disagrees. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Torahlessness. Um, And then, uh, what was the other one? Was that it? Um... So, uh, do you think that your perception of no respect for authority from the Hebrew roots could actually be a desire to not have misplaced authority? Well, yes, possibly, but ultimately, the idea of uh, no authority comes from people like Michael Rood and Lou White, who called seminaries cemeteries. And the uh, the idea that uh, higher education was a waste of money. I'm and in women seminary- to
2: sell steak oil. Yeah, exactly. And to promote other snake oil salesmen. Yeah. And to and to give them an air of legitimacy. Right. But that's that's not caring for the flock. That's not caring for Yeshua's flock.
0: Yeah, and so I mean that ultimately- that's a
2: big question there is is care for others because rejection of authority, let's say a pastor says something that hurts my feelings and I'm like, "Eh," or or offends me, I'm offended, or hurts my pride. That's all self, that's all me like, oh, forget that guy. I'm never coming back here. That's all about me. I've made it all about me. But if if you're like, wow, I, I want to connect and help edify, right? I want to be edified in my faith and I want to, you know, minister in a way that edifies others or brings that points out the majesty and glory of yeshua in the scriptures in a way that is that is the way that it is it's wonderful and things are obscuring that do i get mad at the pastor and storm out or do it's like wow this is a real sticky problem how do we get good food to yeshua's flock how do we get good food and water to the souls Of of the body, right? So that's the core question.
1: So here's what are the things that
2: what are the things that obscure that or obstruct that supply chain of getting the goods, nourishing, you know, food and water and protection for the flock. What gets in the way of that? So false doctrine, false teachers, people sneaking, trying to bring in new books, trying to the sowing seeds of like, oh, you can't trust, can't trust those, you know. They, they, there's books that they didn't want you to read. It's just like the serpent in the wilderness or in the, in the uh, garden. Oh, did God really say that? You know, there's other stuff that you, you, that's being withheld from you. Here's the thing. I, I think that, and
1: I mean, I can give you examples of my own life. When I got into seminary, I thought, okay, let's take Old Testament first because it'll be easy because I am very well versed with the Old Testament, right? And the thing is, is that I learned more from my Old Testament class in seminary than I had in 20 years of, of Old Testament studies, you know, prior to that. I think that the Hebrew roots view comes to higher education and teachers saying the people in the church have nothing to teach me they've gotten so much wrong that they have nothing to teach me. whereas I think the Christian view there might be some of that, but I think that the Christian view more than not, more, more than off, more than not I would say is is that I can learn from other teachers it's not just my pastor, I can learn from other people, and I might have some things wrong now. I might be wrong on that. But when I come into a Christian seminary now, I'm trying to learn as much as humanly possible from the people who are teaching me. And the reason why is because they they have put in a huge amount of work. They know something about the text that I don't. Now, we might disagree on certain issues, but I'm learning a ton from my seminary teachers. And I think that the Hebrew Roots view is, I know that we've really hit hit on this a lot, but I think that the Hebrew Roots view is more of I have something to teach them, I, they don't have anything to teach me. All right, we're going to leave it there. Um, thank you everyone in the chat room for being a part of yeah, the look, chat I, Real
2: quick, I was wondering,
1: I, yeah, move I don't know
2: if I'm misremembering, but I think Tim Haig wrote an article on that initial part of Act 16, and Caleb's written a commentary on Act 16, Acts. But I remember. I think there was an article addressing the issue of Timothy being—is he Jewish or not? It might just be the uh, a a final like chapter in Fellow Heirs. Does anybody know? Um, someone asked about that, and so I would say probably Tim Haig's book Fellow Heirs would be a good place. Uh, again, this is just on the far recess of my brain, but I think Tim has a chapter on this issue of. From Act sixteen, can we tell you know whether the patrilineal or matrilineal principle within Judaism was in play? You know that he addresses that kind of thing. And also, I saw I did peek into the chat room also and saw Nelda's question about the what we call the documentary hypothesis. And I don't think Torah Resource has anything published on that there because is. it's just so far out. It, it's based on the idea that no. Moses didn't write the Torah. We don't even know if Moses really existed. What happened was Jews coming out of Babylon um, took had a bunch of stray stories in their in their library or different from different times and places, and they kind of stitched them together and created something we call the Torah of Moses. And it it really is a like a quilt. It's like a patchwork of all these different sources. And they'll say, like, that's why one, you read Noah's story, it says he has two of every animal, and then all of a sudden it's seven males and seven females of every, and it's like, so those, they say, oh, I'll explain that to you. Those are two completely different stories from ancient times and what the Jewish priests coming out of the uh, Babylon captivity stitched them together to make them one. Another is Genesis one is one creation account. Genesis two is a completely different creation account from the ancient times. They were taken and stitched together to make a new kind of story. So that's that's so, what the
0: whole documentary hold
2: hypothesis does. It's not pause, scripture pause, as inspired pause. at all. It's not pause. a revelation. It's just men telling stories and trying to preserve a library. That's that's what the documentary is. So when you see J that represents, oh, those come those are stories from Judah at a certain time. The E is those are stories from Ephraim from the north. No, um, no that's not right. That yeah, is, no. Well, J Elohim. They, it corresponds to Yahwist and Elohist also, but it's yeah. the, it it's the same thing because the Yahwists are the ones in Judea, Eloists are in the north, with, and with Ephraim, the priestly and the documentary hypothesis, uh, documentary Merians, De- which are or Deuteronomians. Sorry, all the letters are scrambling. It's alphabet so, soup.
1: So the, there is a new book out called "Murmuring Against Moses." The contentious history and contested future of Pentateuchal studies by John Bergsma and Jeffrey Morrow. Um, I have not personally read this book but I just bought it and uh, apparently the entire uh, point of this book is to dismantle and show a strong argument against JEPD theory. So um, I'm excited to read it and I think yeah that, about
2: 20 uh, years ago a guy Harold Bloom wrote the Book of J. So he's saying, oh, and that was written by a woman, right? So he says the J source, which is what they call the Yahwist or the Judean source, was written actually by a woman. So then he sold a million copies or whatever. It's 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 crazy, but it's not. Those are not people who are actually the dis- disciples of Yeshua, in my opinion, that are okay. That are advocating that now. Maybe the book Caleb's talking about are people who are bringing a, a much-needed response.
1: Uh, all right. We'll be back next week. Don't forget to send your emails in. see at Resource.com. c-h-e-g-g at 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Uh, yeah, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, you know why. Because Messiah matters.